the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Joshua. Praise to the God who reigns above. The nation of Israel was finally ready to enter the land promised them by God. Joshua was to lead the people to the victory that God had promised. God had told Joshua that he would be with him as they went on their conquest. We join Pastor Will in Joshua chapter 1, verse 5. The theme of Joshua is victory, victory in Jesus. And while we don't have a promise from God to dwell in a place of land or a piece of land in the Middle East, the Lord has promised that we can escape the corruption in the world and that we can have an abundant life in Christ. They're very similar. The ideas that caused Joshua to have victory are very similar to the New Testament concepts of how we're going to experience victory. And so we saw last week that the first step to experiencing that victory is getting up and getting into the battle. You have to get up and get into the battle. It's trusting that God means what he says when he promises us victory in every area of our lives. To never have any ground that we say, well, no, I'll never take that ground. That hill will never be mine. It's just always going to be a struggle. We have to trust that. We have to get up, get into the battle, and trust that God means what he says when he promises that we can have that abundant life. Now, the next step we'll see is to be strong and courageous. Once we've gotten up, we're back in the battle. We can't run. We've got to be strong. We've got to be courageous, which is how the Lord exhorts Joshua in the rest of this conversation and where to go from here. So chapter one, I'll read the first four verses, and then we'll pick it up in verse 5. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, verse 1, it came to pass that the Lord spoke unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, rise, get up, go over this Jordan, get into the battle, you and all this people, even unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. And every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea, toward the going down to the sun, shall be your coast, your borders. Verse 5, there shall not any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shall you divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give to them. So here God gives his charge to Joshua. He told him to get up, get into the battle, and now he says, be strong and courageous. Three times the Lord will say that, and there's three concepts that the Lord's trying to get across. Number one, I will be with you. He says, be strong and courageous. Why? Because there should not be any man be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. Whatever God had told Moses to do, the Lord came through, right? I mean, every single time the Lord came through. Whether it was a battle where they were outnumbered, whether it was a miracle that needed to take place, whatever God told Moses to do, when Moses did it, the Lord came through. And that was Moses' secret to success. And now it applied to Joshua. 
He says, no one's going to be able to defend themselves before you. No one's going to be able to stand before you all the days you live because I'm with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. The word there, fail, means I will not withdraw my support. I will not withdraw. I won't send you in and not go with you. I won't tell you to do something and I won't be with you. I will not withdraw my support. The word forsake means to abandon or desert. The Lord says, when it's tough, you turn around looking for me, I'll be right there. I will not abandon you or desert you. So God won't slink away, nor will he withdraw his support. What a wonderful promise for Joshua. I mean, think about where he's going. He's going to need to know these things. He's going to need it if he's going to be strong and courageous. Now, do we have that same promise from Jesus? You bet we do. In Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, we know it, of course, go into all the world and make disciples of all men, right? The Great Commission, it says in verse 18 of Matthew 28, and Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. How much power? All. Sounds like all to me. I don't think I need to be a Greek scholar to understand that. All. You know, I mean, he's in charge. He knows what he's doing. He's got whatever it takes to get the job done. Therefore, in light of that, go you and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all the things whatsoever I commanded you. And then he couches it at the end. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We have the same promise, don't we? I will not fail you. I will not forsake you. That's what Hebrews 13.5 says. Hebrews 13.5 says, be content in all things. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. The same thing he said to Joshua here. So we have the same promise. God's not gonna slink away. We know when the going gets tough, he's not gonna withdraw his support. Even as we struggle, he'll be with us every step of the way as we go out to fulfill the thing he's called us to do, to take the ground that he has given to us. This means we can be successful in whatever God sends us to do, no matter how difficult it may seem to us. Joshua, the Bible says that he went out to go look at that city of Jericho. And then the Lord met him, right? Here he goes out and he's thinking, he's like, okay, I know the plan, Lord. I'm good with the plan. I'm going to do the plan. But man, I'm not wrapping my mind around the plan. (laughs) And he sees the city. And what does he see though? He sees this armed soldier with a sword drawn. Joshua, does the right thing. There's a soldier that's not part of my army that's in the camp. And he goes, hey, who are you? Are you, are you for us or for the enemy? Because if you're for the enemy, I got to deal with you. And I love what the Lord says. He goes, neither. I'm not with you or with them. I'm the one leading this thing. I'm the commander of the Lord's host. You're not going into this alone, Joshua. The place where I you stand is holy ground. It's not time to fight. It's time to worship. It's time to remember who's leading you there. It's time to remember that the one who gave you the plan, what he can do, he's with you. The Lord showed him that he was with him. So we can be successful in whatever God sends us to do, no matter how difficult it seems to us. Isn't that an awesome promise? That's an awesome promise. So here's the question. Why do we frequently experience failure? Why do many believers not really enter into that abundant life that Christ has for them, let alone experience victory after victory in their life? Well, the reason is that we have a part to play in experiencing the benefits of this promise. And it's in verse six. Be strong and have a good courage. The word there, strong, is in the imperative. It means you must be strong. You need to be strong, Joshua, and of a good courage. Now, in Hebrew, this is not the mood of reality, but of possibility, which means Joshua is the one who determines whether he's strong or not. He's the one who determines whether he's going to be strong and courageous or he's going to be wimpy and cowardly, right? That's the idea. There's a chance that he might choose that or he'll choose to be strong and courageous. It's up to him. It's up to him to decide which he's going to be. Well, what does it mean to be strong? Well, the word means to have the ability to accomplish what you intend to do. How is Joshua going to have the ability to defeat walled cities like Jericho or giants or armies that outnumber the host of Israel? 
because God is with him. See, all Joshua has to do is exchange his strength, which is certainly not sufficient for the task, for God's strength, which is more than sufficient for the task. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40 with me. I want to read a scripture to you because it's a really cool one. Isaiah 40. It's a very famous scripture. And for years, it was beautiful. It was almost like poetry to me as a Christian. It was something that I thought, well, yeah, that's a cool promise. But I didn't understand it, didn't get it. And then I heard a very good Bible teacher explain it. So I'm going to try to do a good job with it. Beautiful promise, Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31. You need to know the context here. Isaiah has just spent 36 chapters, I believe, basically going over Israel's judgment because of their sin. Heavy messages. Chapter 37 through 39 is kind of a history section of King Hezekiah and the struggles he went through with the Assyrians. And then 40 begins this new section of Isaiah that's filled with hope. Hope for a nation that knows they're going to be judged, that God's not done with them, and that he wants to restore them and use them again. So here at the end of chapter 40, basically in verse 27, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord and my just claim is passed over from my God? They basically say, well, God, I mean, you know, is that over for us? Is it it? Is it done? And the Lord goes, no, it's not done. That's why I'm sending Isaiah with these messages too, to let you know that when you come to your senses and you're ready to repent, I'm right there waiting for you. And I will not just receive you again to myself, but I'll restore you to your land. I'll restore you to a place of blessing. And so Isaiah 40 through 66, just as big a chunk of passages that are filled with hope, filled with promise, tons of prophecies of the Messiah, beautiful things. This here at the end of the chapter though, he's kind of starting them off and encouraging them not to lose hope and not to lose faith, particularly those who were, remained faithful to the Lord. And he says in verse 28, have you not known, Isaiah 40, 28, have you not known, have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, I mean, those are some pretty lofty titles, don't you think? He does not faint, neither is weary. Have you heard that? Do you know that about God? It's true. There is no searching of his understanding. You're not gonna outthink him, but here's the beautiful promise. He gives power to the weak, the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Beautiful promise, right? What does it mean, though? <laughs> like, how do I become the one that waits upon the Lord? How do I become that one? Because I want to mount up with wings as eagles. I want to run and not be weary. I want to not faint. I want to keep on going. How do I be that one who waits upon the Lord? Well, those that wait upon the Lord, the phrase there, wait, it means those who serve the Lord. And here it is, shall renew their strength. It's almost like a statement there. It says that those that serve the Lord, well, they'll get renewed. That's not at all what it means. The word renew, it means to exchange, to exchange. If you want to mount up with wings as eagles, you have to exchange your strength. Your strength, which is really weakness, for his strength, which is sufficient. If you want to live that kind of life, that life with that kind of promise, you have to exchange your strength for the Lord's strength. That's what Joshua needs to do here. If he's going to be strong, he needs to exchange his strength, which isn't sufficient, for God's strength, which is more than sufficient. The New Testament gives us the same promise regarding our challenges. In Philippians 4.13, most of you probably have it memorized, I can do all things through... Christ who strengthens me. It's not, I can do all things because I'm so awesome. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isn't that awesome? So you have to exchange your strength, just like Joshua. That's how we be strong. He says, you must be strong. Joshua, he's not to look at this and go, all right, I'll be strong, God. No, it's say, God, I can't be strong unless you're strong through me. So I'm gonna give you my weakness. Will you please give me your strength? By the way, that means you need to confess your weakness before the Lord. I mean, it takes humility. The Bible says that he resists the proud, but he gives what? Grace to the humble. 
So to receive that strength, you've got to humble yourself. You've got to come to God. God, I'm weak. I need help with this parenting thing I'm struggling with. I need help with this marriage thing I'm struggling with. I need help with this job situation. I need help with sharing my faith. Lord, I'm weak at this. I'm not good at this. But you are. So Lord, will you take my weakness and will you fill me with your strength? Now, in addition to exchanging his weakness for God's strength, Joshua also must be courageous. He says, be strong. And then secondly, be of a good courage. The phrase to be of a good courage, it means to make up your mind to deal with or to face danger. I've heard it many times said that courage is not the absence of fear. It's the decision to do the right thing or what needs to be done in the midst of fear. That's courage. If you have absence of fear in situations you should have fear, it means you have issues, right? You know, if you don't have a fear when the car's coming towards you that you need to get out of the way, that means something's not connected right. Something's not working right. It's normal to have fear, but courage is when you choose to face that fear, to choose to face the danger when it's the right thing to do. So to be strengthened by God and to make up my mind to face danger, those are decisions that Joshua has to make. He says, God says, I'll be with you, but I'm not going to make that choice for you. I'm not going to make the choice for you to to go in there in my strength instead of your own strength, and I'm not going to make the choice for you to face that danger. Joshua had to choose to march toward danger in God's strength instead of his own. He had to choose to cross over the Jordan and march toward those walls where chariots could ride on top. That's how thick those things were. We'll get to that later. Spoilers. He had to choose to march toward the danger, toward the, the, the difficulty, toward the unknown, knowing that God would be with him if he would be strong and courageous. And if he did so, God says, hey, be strong and of a good courage for unto this people you shall divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. You will experience the fruit of your labor. You will experience the spoils of victory, which is dividing the promised land among all the tribes after the victory. Be strong and courageous. You say, well, that sounds great, Pastor Will, but how do I practically exchange my weakness for God's strength? Where do I find courage instead of cowardice or courage as imposter known as pride, right? I always love that. Like, I'm being courageous, Lord. And the Lord's like, no, you're just dirty, rotten pride. What? But I was standing up for you, God. And the Lord's like, I'm not sure who you were standing up for, but it was not reflecting me. That's not courage, Will. It's pride. How do we have courage? How are we filled with courage rather than be filled with cowardice or pride? Well, God's next encouragement shows Joshua that answer. First off, he says, I will be with you. And then secondly, he says, Joshua, you need to live out my word. Verse seven, only be thou strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper whithersoever you go. This book of the law, it shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then shall you make your way prosperous and then you shall have good success. Here we see in verse seven how Joshua can be strong and courageous. He has to make the choice to say, God, I can't do this on my own. I need your strength. Fill me with your strength. Lord, I'm gonna go take on that danger. I'm gonna face that danger. I'm gonna walk toward that danger. Well, how is he gonna be successful in that? He needs to live out the word. God says to him, only be thou strong and very courageous. The word there only, it speaks of a singular focus due to a unique or distinct need. Joshua has this unique, distinct need to be strong and courageous. He has to be focused on that. And so how does God tell him what to be focused on in doing that? That you may observe to do according to all my law, which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Three times God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous. So it's very important. Israel's success would depend upon it. So Joshua needs to focus all of his attention on doing this. Now, do we have a similar type of command from God in the New Testament? We sure do. 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, one of my dear friends of mine, it's one of his favorite verses because it's, well, I'll read it to you in the King James. This is why you need a King James Bible. But 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, watch you, stand fast in the faith. And here it is, quit you like men. Where do you hear that these days? Like when my son's whining about something, you know, I don't want to do that. Quit you like a man, son. We don't use that language anymore, you know. His, my friend's other favorite was to make your face like a flint. Sounds cool. I don't know what it means. It means to be righteously stubborn. Quit you like men. It means have courage. Like the guy who's on the front lines has a job to do. Get it done. We have the same command, which means we need to focus our attention on doing it. How do we do that? By living out God's word, the same thing that Joshua needed to do. The phrase there, to observe, it means set a guard on something. Pay careful attention to something. Pay careful attention. Set a guard that you can observe to do according to all the law. No compromises, no exceptions. All of it must be lived out. He says, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left that you may prosper whithersoever you go. And one of the things we're going to see as we go through the book of Joshua is that they didn't always do this. They did depart to the left hand or the right hand sometimes. And so we will see the defeat at the city of Ai. We will see Joshua himself being deceived by the Gibeonites. Each of these instances, Israel didn't experience God's presence going with them because they compromised or they disobeyed God's word in every one. How do I exchange my weakness for God's strength? By recognizing his word as my authority and then deciding to live it out by recognizing his word as my authority and deciding to live it out. How do I find real courage in the face of danger? By trusting that God's way is best and living it out. Now, when you humble yourself like that, God's presence goes with you and he does the supernatural. The Lord says to Joshua, do this, stay focused on this, that you may prosper whithersoever you go. The word prosper there means to have the skill necessary to do the job, to gain insight or wisdom in the job, to understand what to do when the job is there in front of you. It's God's presence with me that gives me the ability to do something I can't naturally do, like knock down Jericho's walls, or defeat a highly trained and experienced giant named Goliath, or like Paul did, blind a sorceress advisor who's preventing the governor from hearing the gospel. Those are things that don't happen every day. I'm not waiting, you know, in line at Walmart and the lady in front of me has got the 7,000 coupons and she can't find the one coupon for 20 cents for the Dawn shampoo or whatever. I don't have the ability to go, be blinded in Jesus' name. I just got got to buy this, you know, Advil for my kid. We don't do that. People don't act like that. This is a supernatural thing that happened that Paul did for the glory of his kingdom, not my selfish desire to get her out of the way. How did guys do these things? Like this. God's presence went with them. And when we humble ourselves, we recognize God's word as our authority. We trust that God's way is best and we live it out. God's presence goes with us. Joshua and other men and women in history weren't able to do these things because they were better or different than you and me. They did these things because they learned the source of having God's presence go with them. If you don't get anything tonight, get this. When you're living out his word, whatever God tells you to do is possible. It is. You know, in James chapter 5, we have that beautiful passage where it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, right? And we usually associate that with the idea of laying on the hands of the elders and all that kind of stuff for healing, anointing with oil, because that's the verses that come right before it. But right after, it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It says right after, it says, now, remember that guy named Elijah? Elijah was a man of like passions as you and me. In other words, Elijah didn't float when he walked. He didn't glow. You know, there was nothing about him necessarily that would, you know, make him stand out more than any other person. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are, but he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And guess what? It rained not on the earth by the space of three and a half 
years. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. No human being has a natural ability to do that. God told Elijah to do that. He wasn't unique to you that he could do that. It was simply because he was a man that trusted that God's ways were best. And so he had the courage to do it and that God's word was his authority. So he went and lived it out. Be strong and courageous. So I ask you tonight, do you compromise God's commands in your life? Do you reject his authority to command you in any area of your life? At the end of my life, I don't want to set about me that he was a great preacher or that he was a good pastor or even really a good husband or a good dad, even though I hope to be those things especially. I hope it just says there was a man who loved Jesus, trusted the Lord, did what he said. I don't think there's any greater testimony than that. A man who just followed the Lord, did what he said, trusted him, believed that God was who he said he was. Being strengthened and courageous requires yielding to God's authority and then living by that authority, by listening to his commands. And to do that, then, I need to know what God's commands are, right? (laughs) So verse 8, he tells him, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate therein day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then you shall make your way prosperous, and then you shall have good success. This book of the law, my word, it shall not depart. The word there means to cease, fail, or stop. It shouldn't cease, fail, or stop coming out of your mouth. Why the mouth? That's an interesting way to put it, isn't it? You would think in the ear, right? I mean, because the idea of listening, if you're reading, you're listening to it being read to you, you would think, you know, don't let it depart out of your ear. And yet he says, let it not depart out of your mouth. Why would he say that? Well, something we have to remember is they didn't have recordings of scripture back then or recordings of teachings. Rarely back then would a person read without doing so out loud. Instead, they did something the Bible calls meditate. The word meditate here is an interesting word. We think of meditate to kind of ponder, to think about, to ruminate, to let it kind of go around in your mind, to kind of settle in your heart as you think about it, what it means for you. And it does hold those ideas, but at its basic meaning, it just means to mutter. It's the word that's used to describe the low growl that a lion makes. When something is on its mind and it just all of a sudden... It's not the roar that's purposeful in the sense it's out on the hunt, but it's just the idea of something has caught its attention and it it growls under its breath to mutter. In 2017, a university study confirmed this ancient practice of reading out loud through a test on college students over two semesters. While some students were required to read out loud from a list of 160 nouns, others heard them, these nouns, read to them out loud, or they were allowed to read them silently. They had the choice. So you had three groups. They could choose to have it read to them out loud. They could read it silently. And then the other third group, they would read it out loud themselves. Afterward, they were tested to see how many words they remembered from the list. The participants remembered more words if they had read them aloud compared to all other conditions. They concluded, the study, that reading out loud is a more effective way of remembering because of the dual effect of speaking and reading. They believed it helped encode the memory more strongly. Singing... And reading have also been proven to encode memory better than simply reading something. Writing as well. Why? This is because each of these actions creates additional pathways in the brain. Have you ever watched an Orthodox Jew read his Bible or pray? Anybody know? They bob back and forth like this, right? The whole body's moving. I didn't know this till I went to Israel. I I didn't know why. I just thought, well, that's what they do. The reason they do it is because they believe they're to worship God with all their being, all their body. So they involve their entire body in the process of reading scripture or praying. 
personally, I believe that misses the point because you can do all of that outwardly and still not really take Scripture to heart, right? So that's not my point here. I think their action, though, does show they understand something of importance, that worship, prayer, and study of Scripture require effort. They require effort. They require you to engage. So many people I find dislike the Bible or find it boring or difficult to understand because they fail to inject the necessary energy when reading it. That's just the reality. When I ask someone, they say, I just can't understand my Bible, Pastor. Well, I say, well, how often do you read? Oh, maybe once a month. That might be the reason. (laughs) Because I guarantee you, if you start reading it every day, some things will start to make sense to you. Guarantee it. And then you get them reading. And they start to come back to you and say, wow, this is so neat, Pastor Will. I'm starting to understand my Bible. You figured it out. Energy must be expended. Effort must be expended. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul tells this young pastor, he says, study to show yourself approved, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, but rightly dividing the word of truth. The word study, it means to make effort, to labor, to exert oneself. And if I could encourage you in something, don't just read it or listen to it. Speak it out loud to yourself sometimes. Jesus said that everlasting life is found in knowing God. He also said this is why he came to earth, that we might have abundant, everlasting life. Yet we can miss out on all that God has for us when we settle for less, or when we let fear and doubt cripple us. God told Joshua to be courageous, that he would be with him to complete the things God had told Joshua to do. God is with us and is sure to complete the good work he started in us. Have courage, friend. He will never leave us. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.